great to be with you again in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and uh, Michael, stop and think about the opportunity we have to reach our friends this way. Isn't it great? Yeah, it really is. We, we hear back occasionally, and uh, I don't think we can ever get too much feedback. No. Well, it, funny you should mention, I have a couple right here, if I may. Uh, this comes from Pittsburgh. Dear Michael and Wayne, thanks for all you do to invite us listeners into such wonderful fellowship with you and your guests. I'm able to listen while working around the house, in the yard, or sometimes just scratching my dog between the ears. <laughs> Whether it's Mike's music or the interaction, I never feel to leave just a little more grateful for and in love with God. I need to know, is the dog enjoying the show? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> His master's voice, remember that? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, all right. Well, it's good to be with you again, Mike. Yeah. Uh, we, we, uh, we have Nathan Tasker in the second half of the program today. Yeah, longtime friend, super creative guy, but also a person who cares about the creative community, and he's going to talk to us about his ministry to them. Yeah, uh, I don't know how long since you had seen Nathan, but the two of you seem to really click when you get together. Well, I've known Nate. Nate's from Australia. I, I I got to know Nate, you know, when he first came to Nashville years and years ago, and so it's been it's been neat to see him find his place. Uh, say, I don't want to be this person. I want to be that. I want yeah. I want to write these kind of songs sure. and not those kind of songs. Yeah, he's a singer and songwriter in his own right, but yes. he also directs the Art House, where yeah. we're recording yeah. this program today. So thanks for that invitation, Nathan. We'll get to know yeah. Nathan in the second half of the program. I'm excited about what's coming up in the first half. In just a moment, you're going to sing for us. But after that, we recorded you on the road, so to speak, uh-huh. in Ohio recently at a Hesed conference. Tell us what's ahead in that study. Well, I think we're going to listen to a section uh, that talks about Moses and the the what may very well be the most significant revelation in, in Exodus 34 where God basically tells Moses who he is. Hmm. I mean, how there's nothing more important than that. And, uh, and it's, it's all, I think, a surprise because the first word from God's uh, lips, as it were, when he, when he tells Moses who he is, the first word he uses to describe himself is compassionate. Mm-hmm. And I really do think, I think the big surprise of the New Testament is that when the Messiah comes, he's a servant, he's a slave, really. I think the big surprise of the Hebrew Bible is that God is kind. I don't think anybody saw that coming, that he's holy, sure. That he's almighty, sure. We get that, right? That I can't touch the bottom of a mountain he's on top of. I get that. But that he's kind? I don't think anybody saw that coming. Mm -hmm. And I really do think that's what causes Moses' face to shine. The first time he goes up the mountain and gets the Ten Commandments and comes down, his face isn't glowing. But when he, and of course, he busts them then, right? But then when he comes up, uh, I think the second time and God reveals himself to him, his face is shining that mm-hmm. time. I love the way that you always bring new stuff to us uh-huh. uh, in Bible study, but you are discovering new things all the time, yeah. which is amazing when. You stop and think about all the years you've spent in the scripture. Well, it, I think what's amazing is that the scripture that you never get to the bottom of. It. And I can <laughs> yeah. remember Bill saying things like that right before he died. He said, "I've only scratched the surface," <laughs> and this is a guy who's un, you know who who has this incredible grasp of scripture. But yeah, and I'm looking through now, kind of the the Jewishness of Jesus' world and who the rabbis were and we all that talk sort about of that coming up. Yeah, soon. And and I'm seeing new things every day. Well, let's get started. We'll hear your teaching from the Hesed Conference in a moment, but why don't we ask uh, you to sing for us? This was a recording made in the studio with uh, Shanoa uh, Alamo mm-hmm. on the violin, but you start out with a penny whistle. Right, and I, when when Joe played this for, for us a minute ago, I'd forgotten that I played this, but it's violin and penny whistle, nice combination.
that thou art Thou my best thought By day or by night Waking or sleeping Thy presence my light Be thou my wisdom And thou my truth And Thou with me, Lord, Thou my great Father, I Thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and I with Thee one. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty gain. Moses as an object of God's revelation of Hesed, David as an experiencer of Hesed, Jeremiah as a person who proclaims God's Hesed, Hosea who acts out God's Hesed. And uh, so let's look at, first of all, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. You need to read big blocks of scripture. Okay, we, we think it's really spiritual to meditate on one verse for like two hours. You know, that's what St. Francis would have done, right? Um, I'm here to tell you that we need to read big blocks. And I, what I want to demonstrate to you is how um, you can't understand these two verses, 34, 6, and 7, unless you read uh, 15 chapters previous, from chapters 19 to 34. If you don't know what happens leading up to this, you, you can't understand. So what I'm going to do for you, I overviewed those 15 chapters. You're welcome. Three months out of Egypt, they enter Sinai. That's 19.1. Verse 3, Moses goes up the mountain for the first time. God tells him, if you will listen and obey, you will be my possession. By my count, Moses goes up and down the mountain nine times. Now, it's not Charlton Heston and one time up in the big tablets. It's, uh, it's not what we have been taught to think. Verse 8, the people replied, we will do all that the Lord has spoken, which is what they always say. When Moses comes down with a message, the people always say, okay, yeah, we'll do that. Okay, what are you going to say? Uh, uh, verse 8b, Moses goes back up the mountain. Um, in verse 9, uh, God says to him, I'm going to come to you in a dark cloud to speak to you so that the people will believe you. Okay. Verse 9b, Moses goes back, uh, well, he goes down, he goes back up. Verse 10 God says, go consecrate the people on the third day. I will come down uh, on the mountain, on the top of the mountain. Verse 16, on the third day, thunder, lightning, and thick cloud, and they hear a loud trumpet. 
Verse 17, Moses stands with the people at the foot of the mountain. Uh, very, very important, when God gives the Ten Commandments, Moses is standing at the bottom of the mountain with the people. It's not Charlton Heston, you know, you know, the lightning bolt that, that's, forget all that stuff. He's trembling at the bottom of the mountain when God, I mean, how many people knew that? I just assumed Charlton Heston, the Charlton Heston version. I've seen that movie more than I've read Exodus probably. Okay. He stands with the people of verse 17. Verse 19, uh, Moses speaks to God. God answers in, in thunder. Verse 20, the Lord summons Moses back up. This is four by my counting. He gives the final warning. He says, D do not let the people approach the mountain or I'm going to break out. You know, God is so holy, you can't touch the bottom of the mountain that he's on top of. And so verse 29, go, go, go down and come back with Aaron. So 21 through 17 is when the Ten Commandments are given. And once again, Moses is with the people on the, on the standing at the foot of the mountain. Verse 18, when they hear God speak, the people are so fearful, they tell Moses, we don't want to talk to him. You talk to him. Okay, which I think was kind of what God was going for. <laughs> it was the effect that God was going for. Verse 21, uh, Moses approaches. Uh, the Bible says the total darkness where God was. And there's apparently, there's, there's the top of the mountain where he meets with God. But then there's almost kind of this staging period or a staging place that's almost to the top of the mountain. And my impression is that's where this happens. Moses will bring the elders with him. He'll bring Aaron with him, but it's not all the way to the top. So he'll go up to this, this place and then God will call him up from there. That's the best I can do trying to figure this out. I'm sure there's someone who's figured it out. Uh, verses 20 through, 22 through chapter 23. So I'm skipping ahead a bunch of chapters. Uh, Moses, uh, uh, more laws are given to Moses, the tabernacle and that kind of stuff. Uh, 24, 1 through 3, Moses is told to go up and to bring the elders and Aaron with him. They go up and they worship at a distance. They're up on the mountain, but they're a still a distance away from where God is. Moses approaches uh, God alone. This is what I want to, in 24, the, the, this is where we got it wrong. The heading we put in was the covenant ceremony. And there's this misunderstanding because what happens is God says, go and, and bring the elders, bring the 70 back up with you. And in um, verse 9, then Moses went up with Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of Israel's elders. And they saw the God of Israel beneath his feet was something like a pavement of lapis lazuli. It sounds like something out of Revelation. So they have this vision of God. Okay. Um, and here's the verse that, that is commonly misunderstood in my opinion. Verse 11, God did not harm the Israelite nobles. They saw him and they ate and drank. This is misunderstood in people say they had a covenant meal. So God welcomed them up the mountain and all the 70s had this big meal together. I don't think that's what it's saying. That's, I don't think that's consistent with the rest of the text. I think it should be translated this, this way. God did not harm them and in parallel, yet they lived to eat and drink. So they survived. I think it's Hebrew parallelism. Okay. And again, I won't take a bullet for that, but I think that makes a lot more sense than uh, they all have this big meal together and hang out. And this is uh, a little, seems a little inconsistent to me. So take that for what it's worth. We're going to meet again. The translation team's going to meet again, and I'm going to make a big fuss about that. And I'm the only non-PhD in the, in the room, so they laugh at me and think, oh, that poor, you know. <laughs> For a banjo player, you know, you're a pretty good Bible teacher, this kind of thing. Um, in verse 12 and following, Moses is commanded to come up and receive the tablets with the commandments. So it's come up farther from where they are, which is already on the top of the mountain. Uh, Moses and Joshua go up, and the cloud covers the mountain. That's verse 13. Verse 16, the glory of the Lord and the cloud settle on the top of the mountain for six days. On the seventh day, God calls Moses to come up. He stays up there for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, 25, 1 through 31, 17. So here's another big block. Uh, this is where the detailed instructions for the tabernacle are given. How to tie the knots, what the post holes are supposed to be like. I mean, it's, you know, very, very detailed description. Um, in verse 18, God gives Moses two tablets with his handwriting on it. Now, here's another new idea. I just thought about this, this the, yesterday morning, early, I was up looking at this. 
I've always assumed that the, t the tablets just have the Ten Commandments on them. It doesn't say that anywhere in Exodus. It just has God. God writes down the commandments, but there could have been more than just the Ten Commandments. You know, again, it's not necessarily Charlton Heston and, and uh, the movie with five on one side and five on the other side. 32, one through six, the golden calf uh, incident happens. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that. This shows that they have been infected with a, a Egyptian idolatry. The Egyptians worship bulls and calves. So that's an, that's an indication uh, that they had been uh, in Egypt. And verse seven, God says, uh, go back down, leave me alone so my anger can burn against them. He's going to wipe them out and start over again with Moses. And if you think about it, he's already done this once with the flood. This is a strategy God has already used once. And Moses, which is what makes him who he is in verses 11, 13, he intercedes for the people. In verse 14, God relents. Verse 15, Moses goes back down. I've lost count by, by this time how many times this is, but he goes back down with the tablets. And this is when he loses his temper and smashes them at the foot of the mountain. Uh, Moses rallies, whoever's with the Lord, come with me. That's verse 36. And in the fight, the Levites rally with Moses at that point, and uh, 3,000 people die. It's a tragic tragedy. Uh, verse 31, Moses returns to the Lord. That may be the sixth. This may be number six. And asks for forgiveness for the people. And he, he says, if, if you can't forgive them, then erase me. Now, who's that? That's a Christ, he's a Christ figure there. He, he says, take my life to, uh, to, to spare them. We don't appreciate Moses. I think he's this card, uh, felt board, you know, Sunday school character. Uh, he's, a, he's a remarkable person. Verse 33, uh, God says, follow the angel of the Lord to the place I told you about. That is the promised land. And then to, to, uh, to punish the people, the Lord sends a plague. We're getting close. Uh, 33, 1 through 3. Um, God says, go to the land, but I'm not going with you. Now, that breaks Moses' heart. He can't get rid of that. We're going to see that when, when God reveals himself to Moses, the first thing Moses says is, please go with us. He's been thinking about this. He does not want to go into the land and God not go with him. Okay. But God says, you know, I might destroy them along the way. They just make me so mad. <laughs> He's put up with a lot already, hasn't he? Uh, so uh, go, go to the land, but I'm not going to go with you. Uh, Moses, verse 7, sets up the tent of meeting. This is not the tabernacle, there, but the tent of meeting where he meets with God. And interesting, in, verse, in chapter 33, at one point, it says, Moses met with God face to face. In another place, God says, you can't see my face and live. It's this wonderful sort of t ambiguity and tension. It's not contradicting itself. We just don't understand all the ins and outs of it, I think. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. So Moses meets with God in the tent of meeting. Uh, he speaks to the Lord face to face. And Joshua stays outside. Joshua's always there. Because Joshua's going to be the one that finally leads him into the land, right? So Joshua's always there. And in 13, someone told me they preached a sermon about this this week. Uh, Moses says to God, teach me your ways. When he's in the intimacy of the tent, he says to God, teach me your ways. In a minute, he's going to say, and show me your glory. He asked him two things. Teach me your ways and show me your glory. Um, verse 14, God says, my presence, and it's the Hebrew word for face. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Um, Verse 18 is where he says, show me your glory. Verse 19, God says, I will cause my goodness. The word tov in Hebrew, which is one of those words that Hesed pulls to itself. Uh, so God sets the scene to, for what's going to happen on the mountain. 34.1, we're almost there. 34.1, uh, Moses cuts out new stone tablets that God will write on. He's commanded to do that. He's commanded to come up alone. Um, in verse 5, the, the, the Lord comes down in a cloud. Okay, that prepares us to look at these two verses. So now we're going to look at Exodus 34, 6 and 7, which I, I suggest to you, these are the most important verses in the Hebrew Bible because this is where God is telling us who He is. That's, that's got to count for something. I mean, that's just my opinion. In uh, Judaism, these are referred to as the 13 attributes of God. 
Um, don't try to count on the way they count them because it makes no sense. So here, here it is. Uh, the Lord came down in a cloud, stood with them there, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Now that's the, that's the word that we uh, approximate with Yahweh. You want to see that? You interested in seeing that? In Israel, they, don't, they won't say Yahweh, obviously. They won't even say the Lord, Adonai. They say Hashem, the name. That's, that, their name for God is the name. But this is, this is what it looks like in Hebrew. Here's a Yod. Here's a Hey, H. Vav, V, H. Okay, that's the Tetragrammaton. This is the name of God that you can't say, that the, the, the scribe breaks the pen when he writes those letters. And this is how it works. Now, we know it as Yahweh or, what's the other? Jehovah. And this is how that works. Okay, I'm, I'm transliterating. So I'm, I'm that, that, that Yod, I'm going to turn to a J. This Hey, I'm going to make an H. That Vav, I'm going to make to a V. And that H, I'm going to make into. So you read it that way. And what do I get? Jehovah. And this is just an approximation. We don't know how to say this word. This, is the, this was the Germans trying to figure out what it is. Now, so what do we do? Here's how we do it. Instead of the J, we do a, y, uh, a, a Y. Okay? An H. And instead of a V, this is a Vav or a Wow. So we make a W. And then another H. And we make Yah. That's where we get Yahweh from. But these are just approximations. We do not know how to say these words. They're, they're lost. So this is Hashem. This is the name. This is the name. And uh, the best way to render it in a translation is Lord in all caps. When you see that in your Bible, that means it's this word. Okay? And I don't even want to leave it out like that. <laughs> I don't want to cover it back up. Okay. So here, here we go. Verse 6. God says his name twice. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in hesed va'emet, grace or faithful love and truth, maintaining hesed. There it is again. Hesed is twice in one sentence. Maintaining hesed to, in, in the Hebrew says to thousands and we translate that to a thousand generation, but the word generation isn't in there. He, he shows his hesed to thousands, uh, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. The whole range of what you can do wrong. Three different words for sin. But, and there's the turn, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished. Bringing, this is very important, the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. This is the first time he's really worshiped God like this. Then he said, my Lord, if indeed I found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us, even though we're a stiff necked people. So he's asking for what he doesn't deserve because now he knows he can. He ate the bread from heaven, drank water from the rock, and the grumbling children followed like a misbegotten flock. He climbed upon a mountain they couldn't even touch. Who'd have known that one encounter could have ever meant so much? And up upon that high place, in a cleft of solid stone, his face was set on fire, as the God of glory shone He alone had seen it And had lived to tell the tale But because they feared the fire He had to hide behind a veil The face that shone with the radiance of the Father Though it had known and endured dark desert days The face that shone with the glory of another Soon the prophet would discover as the glory was fading away. He was the bread from heaven, he would be the smitten rock. 
He had twelve confused disciples, they were his bewildered flock. When he climbed upon the mountain, he took Peter, James, and John. In the face of pending glory, they soon began to yawn. As he prayed while they were sleeping, he was transfigured into light. His face a flash of lightning, his clothes so burning bright. And Moses finally saw the face before he'd hidden from. Then came the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son. The face that shone is the glory of the Father. And he had known from the start that it was so. The face that shone had let the light shine out of darkness and were changed into his likeness. As we gaze upon the sun, it's you and me we tend to flee from shining faces. We see the glow and then we know that we're undone. They shine his light into our emptiest of spaces and with their bright and shining faces reflect the radiance of the sun. The face that shone is the glory of the Father and he had known from the start that it was so. The face that shone had let the light shine out of darkness and we're changed into his likeness as we gaze upon the sun. Michael's song, A Face That Shone, recorded here at the Art House. Another guitarist will join us in just a minute. Nathan Tasker will talk about the vision for the Art House studio and more about nurturing a creative community. If you've been challenged by what you've heard so far, please share your comment or post a podcast review when you search for michaelcard.com on Facebook or Twitter. Or use the Contact Us section of our website at michaelcard.com. And check out Michael's weekly blog, books, music, and conferences at michaelcard.com. There's more coming up in just a moment here in the studio with Michael Card. Next in the studio with Michael Card is a classic. Nancy Guthrie opens the book of Hebrews and points out the firm anchor we have for our souls. We'll welcome a young man who's involved with worship songs for the underground church in China, and Larry Warren expands our understanding of what God is doing in Africa. Insightful conversation as like minds discuss what it means to follow Christ. Watch for the post and share the podcast link. It's all found at michaelcard.com. Michael, through the magic of recording, look who stepped into the studio to join us. Yes. Nathan it, Tasker. Yeah, isn't that cool? <laughs> it was so easy to get him in here. Yeah. That's awesome. He lives next door. I do, a short because, walk. Because we're at the Art House. Mm-hmm. Tell us what the Art House is. Sure, the Art House started in 1991 when uh, Charlie Peacock, Christian singer-songwriter and producer, and his wife Andy moved into this old church. So right now we're in a, a 105-year-old Methodist church, and they moved in in order to help I guess, create or, you know, sustain some type of creative community. Um, and when it started, the goal of it was to cultivate creative community for the common good. And then most recently, we added on the idea of encouraging everyone everywhere to live artful, faithful lives. And so over the years, that's looked like a lot of different things. We've had a lot of speakers in this house over 25 years. Michael was one of them, right? Michael was one of them. I think a lot of actually scribbling in the sand, I think, mm-hmm. came out of a yep. crisis and creative process that you addressed yeah. here. And um, Scotty Smith from Christ Community, I know, uh, a long time ago started Bible studies here. Uh, Bono has sat on the fireplace and <laughs> Is that right? sung, We Are, You Know, We Are Christians by Our Love. And wow. <laughs> Mel Gibson showed the passion of the Christ for the first time. Um, it's literally an old church. Here. It literally is an old church. It's, and it's beautiful. It, it is. I, I know Mike actually, one of the times you came in, Mike, you said, uh, I, I just can't imagine on this floor the people who got married, the people yeah. who were buried. How you know, many like, people on this spot for a hundred and some odd years yeah. have stood there nervously saying their vows on that oh. spot? Yeah. yeah. That, amazing. that cool. could explain why my children run very quickly in the middle of the night from their room <laughs> to our room. <laughs> well, uh, Sarah and Troy Groves have a, a church in Minneapolis, right? Is there a connection? There is indeed. So Sarah recorded some records with Charlie and during that time was very struck by the, the ministry of Art House. 
and asked if they could actually start one uh, up in St. Paul, Minneapolis. And so they bought an old church and they do very similar things. And then a number of years ago, uh, another friend of ours of Art House started Dallas Art House. And each house does very different things. Ours is probably the most free-flowing, flexible out of the three of them. We don't do a lot of program things here. Mm -hmm. It's more, I guess, being highly sensitive to who the Lord brings here, Mm. either to record and make music or create art, and then people who are in need of um, prayer and conversation, dinner. It's wonderful. So very much hospitality is probably one of the major things that happens in our We appreciate the invitation to come here with this program. Yeah, very much. It's awesome (laughs) to have you here. You mentioned the children running quickly yes. through the old yeah, church. Every, every time I come back, there's a new child here. Explain that to me, please. I'm, How does I'm, that work? I'm anxious about you coming back again. Uh, yeah, no, we we uh, have three children, uh, six years old, almost four, and uh, a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter. So two boys and a little girl. And um, and they're growing up in this place where you know yeah. there's a studio and they're running in and seeing people and uh, they're having a, a great time. Um yeah, it's, it's pretty wonderful. I, and I tell people, I actually think I, I told you guys when you arrived, uh, I remember saying, this is our home. So we have three children and <laughs> we kind of don't make any apologies for the fact that sure. we have children. Yeah, love it. And I think in Nashville and within music and creative community, uh, I love that people come here and they get to see a family mm-hmm. um, and a family just doing yeah, life right. as well. Because yeah. I think sometimes we can tend to think our, our art has to be isolated from you know, family and from those things that are normal in order yeah. to create art. And I, I, I don't agree with that. I think mm-hmm. it can happen here amongst. Yeah. And I can tell life. you it's a hard thing when, when my wife started working full time and she wasn't as involved in what the creative stuff I was doing, that was really hard. Yeah. So yep. good. Yeah. Good for you. For yeah. So tell Cassie, me about Cassie. You, you met in Australia, right? I, I, we did indeed. Yeah. I met, uh, do you want to hear how we met? Yeah. Well, I'd love to. <laughs> I'm, okay. I sense there's a story to be told oh, here. We'll, so. we'll, we'll hear your version and later <laughs> and on we'll have her version. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so I was at my church in Sydney and I got to church twice that year cause I was touring a lot and, uh, I was sitting next to a friend and my cell phone was on the chair and it was silence, but it buzzed and a message came through and it said, who's that sexy girl behind you? And it was my best friend who goes to church 20 miles away. Mm-hmm. And I turned around and I thought, he's here. This is awesome. I get to see my best friend. And I turned around and I looked and I said, oh, and there is beautiful girl behind me. This is amazing. And so I asked my friend next to me, who's that girl? And he said, that's Cassie. She's just started coming to this church. So I kind of chased her down and joined her Bible study. Mm, um, because you were interested in what I was they were studying. The, the yeah, Bible yeah. study. Yes, uh-huh. good man. You buy that, Mike? <laughs> well, no. The, the truth is that being in Bible study with her, I was like, wow, she's a beautiful woman. But yeah, what was inside was even more impressive. And and so eventually she gave up and, uh, and went out with me. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is my friend actually wasn't at church that night. He was at his church and thought, this will be really funny if I text him. No, Who's that beautiful that girl right? behind you? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. And oh, so I've he was never my best man at my uh, wedding and he shared that story. <laughs> and yeah, so that's how we... We met in a sort of an invisible Cupid. That's yeah, a, it is. That's a movie. I, I, I know that's with Hugh movie. Grant. Yes, playing me. Mm. Well. <laughs> now, what was the conversation with her about moving all the way to Nashville from Australia? Yeah, she. When we first started dating, one of the things she said to her mother is, um, "I don't want to sell CDs at a concert." Um, mm. And then about a year later, she was selling CDs, CDs at a concert. <laughs> um, but we traveled together for the first um, seven or eight years. We traveled together in a touring van in in America and UK and back in Australia as well. Um, and I guess that shared experience of being together was just so valuable, something that we're both very thankful for. These days, I go out on tour without her because she's at home with the kids. Um and every time I wish that she was out with me. Yeah. Um, By the way, will you thank Cassie for the cookies that she provided <laughs> to the studio here today? <laughs> I, will. I will. She's a great cook. So, yeah. <laughs> well, we appreciate your music so much, too. Um, you as a singer and a songwriter. Um, you've thank prepared you. something for us to hear now. I have, yeah. I, I actually thought I'd do something from my hometown, uh, a song inspired by a man named Arthur Stace. And uh, Arthur Stace was a homeless man in Sydney, Australia, Did who you became know a him? Christian. No, I didn't. He actually, okay. he um, passed away not long after I was, I was born. Um, but when he, uh, when he became a Christian, um, he was still a homeless man, but he found himself a piece of chalk and he decided to word, 
write the word eternity on the streets of Sydney to try and wake people up to the fact that there was more than just this life. And he wrote that word over 500,000 times. They're still finding it in places that he wrote it. They didn't realize he'd actually written it. Um, And so when he passed away, there was no real fanfare, nothing really mentioned. But in the year 2000, as we ushered in the new millennium, uh, some of you might remember that at midnight, stroke of midnight, fireworks exploded around Sydney Harbour and up on our Harbour Bridge lit the word eternity in his handwriting, spoken over a a fairly pagan city. Mm -hmm. And uh, it always makes me think about, you know, God has placed eternity in our hearts. Everybody Mm -hmm. resonates with Mm -hmm. not wanting to die, wanting Mm -hmm. to live forever. Uh, That's a God-given thing. And I think about that word spoken over the Harbour Foreshore, some people resonating because they knew the Lord and others resonating and not quite sure. What am I going to do with What am I going to do? Yeah. We've got to keep that story in mind as we listen to the song now, right? That'd be great. Nathan Tasker in the studio. On a busy Sydney street Underneath the moving feet If you looked you just might see what I see It is written on the ground Almost lost within the sound But it won't stop crying out eternity Can you hear it now? Ringing out across the city Hear the sound like a symphony It's crying out Every single heart that's beating This is what we were made for Oh, this is what we were made for As the people pass me by I can't help but wonder why We all live as if there's only one lifetime When there's more than this Lifetime, hear it now Ringing out across the city Hear the sound like a symphony And it's crying out In every single heart that's beating This is what we were made for Oh, this is what we were made So sing with me A song that lasts So sing with me a song that lasts forever. Can you hear it now? Can you hear the sound? Can you hear it now? Ringing out across the city, hear the sound like a symphony. It's crying. Every single heart that's beating This is what we were made for Oh, 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 this is what we were made for Oh, this is what we were made for Oh, oh, this is what we were made for Eternity Eternity. Nate, we were talking before about resonance, mm. and the idea uh, just struck me listening to that song that something resonated in the heart of this homeless man, mm. and then it made your heart resonate. Yeah. Because you're both created for eternity. Yeah. He wrote it on the ground and you wrote a song. Yeah. That's pretty that, cool. That is pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. I hadn't thought of that, but uh, yeah, I love that idea. Yeah. We talk a lot about resonance. That's one of our themes. <laughs> okay. It's a good theme. <laughs> good one. Good one. Can we talk about life in Nashville? Yeah. As, as artists, 
That's artistes. Artistes, yeah, sorry. Sorry, sorry, Mr. Card. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the lessons that you've learned, Nate? Uh, I've learned that in Nashville, there is a great community to be found, um, especially when it comes to thinking through uh, culture, creativity in light of the Bible, um, things that I hadn't had a chance to really experience in Sydney. Um, I've found incredible friendship and fellowship here, but I've also found um, that Nashville is a difficult place to live and I think to uh, also uh, keep in touch with what it means to to follow Jesus uh, mm. in everyday life. And, and I think, uh, and I don't want to be disparaging at all against Nashville as a town because it, it is an amazing place to live. Yeah, just driving around looking at all the churches. And, I, I know, and lots of churches. Buckle of the Bible Belt and all e- that, right? Exactly. Yeah. But it's it's also a place where, um, you know, it can be very lucrative to be in Christian ministry uh, in Nashville. And I come yeah. from a city in, in Australia where that is not the case at all. It doesn't I, pay. Exactly. Right, to be a Christian. In, in, in Sydney, Sydney. And, and the UK, which I know you've spent a lot of time yeah. there as well, Mike. Um, yeah. You know, my friends who are in ministry in the UK, I mean, it is... You're essentially a missionary, right? And that's that's what I remember being in Australia as well. And I think there's something about uh, acknowledging that, and probably whether it's an Australian thing or something else. Uh, in Nashville, I feel like I see through a lot of um, industry hype, and uh, that can make it hard to do my job sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think God calls us to be faithful and to to serve Him and to serve sure, others wherever sure. we are. Um, but it has protected me as well, I think, in ways that I'm grateful for. Mike, we've talked a lot about this through the years mm-hmm. with your own experience. Well, you were saying a minute ago that you can learn to be a better guitar player in Nashville. Yeah. You can burn, what were you saying? Yeah, a better guitar player. You want to be a better singer. You want to be a better producer, songwriter. But Nashville isn't necessarily the place where you'll learn to be a, a better Christian, to put it, you know, or a deeper Christian, or to grow in your love of the Bible, grow mm-hmm. in your love of the church. Like, yeah. And I find that quite... Um, that makes me nervous and anxious as an artist, you know, because I think you create out of who you are and what mm-hmm. uh, what you're marinating in, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't marinating in the Word, and if you aren't marinating in Christian community and church community, who and and that means having people like a pastor who can ring you on the road and say, "What's going on?" Right. Like mm-hmm. you're accountable to me, yeah. and you're accountable to yeah. your brothers and sisters. Yeah. How you know? are you doing? And why did you just lie to me? Exactly. You know, right. <laughs> and and that kind of accountability is, I mean, it's really. Very few of us ask for it, right? But it's really important yeah. uh, in the work that we do, and um, and I've probably mm. seen that a little bit less over the years. And I hope that the art house might be one small place where people can come, and we can, you know, attempt some form of spiritual formation. How can yeah. we grow together, and our art come out of that depth of love? I can for see how that shows the way. Jesus, yeah. I, how have each of you handled this uh, this problem, so to speak? Well, you, I, I think it's like Nate says, you, you look for community. Mm. Um, on this show, we've had uh, Anthony Pickett, mm. who is, I go to a Wednesday Bible study, which is really sort of church for me. Mm. And, um, and those, those people know, you know, oh, they know I'm going to be out of town this weekend. They know where I'm going. And when yeah, I get man. home, they go, how did it go? And, and, uh, and I can't imagine doing that in isolation yeah, or just with, you know, three or four guys that are in a band and you know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So you need people who aren't starry eyed when they look at you, Yeah, I but think, look at you as a brother. Yeah, exactly. I mean, cause the truth is, and I know, um, Mike, you've experienced this, that when you are on, on stage and people are listening to your music and they're responding or they ask for autograph, I mean, it, you need good community around you. You need people who are, mm-hmm keeping you grounded and remembering that. I remember one of the things that you taught me, Mike, is that great art washes feet. Yeah. yeah. Like if, if you get on stage and you aren't thinking to yourself, I'm in a service ministry right now, mm-hmm. then something's gone wrong. But the way we've set up our industry, it's to make it feel as though the person on stage is not in a service ministry. You're in a and in an fame odd, industry. You know what I mean? And in an odd way, Nashville is a good place because you see – so much ministry based on capitalism and ministry based yeah. on self-promotion. Not that we don't struggle with that too. We of struggle course, with that yeah. too. Make a yeah. living, right? But you, and for me, it was helpful to see see something go, okay, I don't want to do it that way. Yeah. I don't want it that way. Oh, oh, there's someone. Oh, I want to do it like that, that, that person, person is doing it. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. That's what was most helpful for me coming yeah. and yeah. living in Nashville. Yeah. So. Do you have a, um, a desire to see 
others learn? I mean, the art house is doing it. Yeah. But how deeply can you move into someone's life if they're not listening? Yeah. And and I think that's, that is the big question. And for us, we're putting on uh, events as we feel led to do. We've started a thing actually called the Artist Collective. And the goal of it was just to invite people to come along and hear from older Christians who are still creating art. And I try and uh, invite people to speak who um, are still plugged into church or they have community that they're a part of. You know, they're answerable to someone. Um, they value family and they uh, value the Bible. You know, things, I mean, it sounds kind of baseline, but, you know, those things are really important and valuable to me and to the art house. And just to bring younger people in and to allow them to experience that together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that's one of the things we do, but a lot of it is just praying. I know, Mike, you were speaking before when we, uh, before we chatted about praying that the Lord would bring the people to you yeah. who need what you have. And for us, it's this home and this studio. You know? Yeah. And, and we were talking before that how there's something that's almost illegitimate about pursuing those people and say, yeah. okay, I'm going to disciple you. Yeah. That's not really, I think the, the point is you work on your own sort of world and then yeah. you say to the Lord, Hey, anybody you bring to me, if I can wash mm -hmm. their feet, if I can be helpful, yeah. I'm I'm asking that you bring those people to me. And it's amazing, you know, and this is coming from a person whose prayer life is not all that, not all that great. <laughs> but when I've prayed that prayer, I'll I'll get a phone call a day yeah. or two later. And it's just one person saying, Can we have coffee? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I can remember, as oddly enough, we talk a lot about Bill Lane. I can remember you know, praying that I could find somebody and I go and I meet Bill Lane and a few weeks later after we get close, he said, I was praying that the Lord would bring someone to the right. office wow. that would talk to me. And so it it's yeah. a, an experience that replicates, it mm -hmm. should replicate itself. It should. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're, I think Nate and I are trying, of course, I'm, I'm way older than Nate is, <laughs> but I think we're trying to figure out what does that look like for us now? Because yeah. it's time for us to step well, up. I, I'm yeah. so grateful for both of you and what you're doing. Um, before we leave, what what's next for you? What I mean, we'll we'll put a link to your website on our program note in our yeah, program that, notes. But what's going on next? That'd be great. Well, anyone who wants to come and visit Art House can look us up and and come and spend some time here. We'd love that. Beautiful um, Bellevue, Tennessee. Bellevue, Tennessee. Yeah. And then uh, I go out on tour. One of the other things I get to do in my life is to speak on behalf of Compassion International as well mm -hmm. about um, the church in the developing world. You know, right. serving the needs of children in in desperate need. Uh, and so I'll be out on tour with a whole bunch of different artists over the end of this year. Hmm. Um, and then I get to go back to Australia. Yay, for Christmas. <laughs> so, you, wait, wait, wait. You just got back from Australia. We did, yeah. 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 <laughs> wow. We can't help yeah. ourselves. We, That's such an easy flight that he takes exactly. it every week. You know. We love sitting on a plane for 18 hours. <laughs> with three kids. With three kids. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan, seriously, it's great to see you. Thank you for the invitation to come to this wonderful place. Yeah. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for being here. Mike, I know you did too, but I really enjoyed that time with Nathan. It's so great to reconnect with him after uh, many months of not seeing him. Yeah, and, to, yeah. and to see how this ministry here is flourishing. I mean, the art house, Nashville really needs this ministry. Mm -hmm. Really needs this yeah, ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we've covered a lot of territory. And thanks yeah. to our listeners who always, so many just stick with us for the whole hour. Yeah, that's encouraging. And then and then write to us and say this was helpful for me. Yes. You know, that's yeah. that's that's what we need. We hey, need that input. We just started touching on worship with Nathan there. So very briefly, we yeah. got to talk more about that. Yeah, that's it's really on his heart in a positive way. It's something I struggle with kind of in a negative way like I don't like that. I don't like that. <laughs> and of course, the stupidest thing to say after a worship service is, did I like it? Right. <laughs> yeah. But just this morning, I was I was reading in Acts. I was actually listening to Acts on the way to the studio. And Paul was speaking uh, to the Areopagus. And he said, he was referring to the statue the, of the unknown God. Mm -hmm. And what Paul said was, you worship what you don't know. And I thought, you know what? That resonated with me in terms mm -hmm. of so much that's happening in worship now there's there's a huge worship movement but there's very little preaching and very little focus and content on who it is we're worshiping and um so i think that's we need to follow that okay up with that all right I think let's the, make in, a pact with our producer joe sitting here yes that, uh, we'll do that yeah so yeah let's let our worship be informed because bill lane would always say worship is always a response to the word and i think we need to do what we can to help push the word in front. Yeah, yeah. good thought. Yeah. 
Hey, we opened the program with a note from Pittsburgh. Here's one that comes, well, I don't know where this comes from, but Andrew wrote to us and said, Mr. Card, respect. (laughs) He's a young person. (laughs) I wanted to drop a quick line and say that I heard Jubilee on your podcast Uh and it moved me. Ah. Thank you for the song. Jesus really is our Jubilee. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Cancellation of debt, set free from slavery and and an invitation to a party that's going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Not too bad. Mm-hmm. Not too bad. And that's who we worship. There you go. Yeah. That, that brings it full circle, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Good thought. Well, as we wrap up, thanks to uh, Joe, who produced this program. Ron Davis is sitting here in the studio with Came us. There's so many Kansas people City. behind the scenes who help us, yeah. uh, Lauren and others with the program. So thanks to everybody involved. But I'm still thinking about that song that Nathan, Nate uh, Tasker sang for us, Eternity. Mm-hmm. Can we conclude with that thought? Maybe you want to pray about that. Yeah, and I, I think I have the image that that Nate, you know, shared with us of this homeless man who is writing. Though he can't write his own name, mm-hmm. but he can write eternity and beautiful and, script. Yeah. yeah, and how and how that. Um, there was a writer that talked about how we're we're created. We were created for eternity, yet we're stranded here in time. Mm-hmm. We worship a God who dwells in eternity. Who 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 inhabits and, and, and fills all eternity. And uh, yeah, that's a God worth worshiping. So let's, let's go to him and thank him for how good he is to us. Lord, uh, we thank you for this time. We thank you for taking us away from the busyness of the world. And we're mindful of, of our listeners, of, of people who right now are driving in their cars or cleaning the house or p- patting their dogs or whatever, we're mindful uh, that all of us come together in this moment in time uh, to worship you, uh, the God of eternity. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you you left your Father, you left uh, heaven, you left eternity, and you came and made this incredible sacrifice of, of sharing time with us. And most of all, uh, for the sacrifice that you made for us, uh, your very life on the cross. We're mindful of that, and we worship you for that. And only you are worthy to be worshipped. We pray that you would become the God that we do know, that we know better and that we long to know better. And we thank you for all that you do for us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Michael. We hope you'll tell a friend about what you've heard. Write a comment or share the link to this podcast. On our website, you'll find the links to our guest, the past program, audio archive, and Michael's writing ministry, all at michaelcard.com. Next week, we open our archives and present a classic broadcast recorded at the Mole End Studio. For all of us on the team, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to In the Studio with Michael Card.